you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for LAist's new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We are where we eat. We'll go behind the scenes of LA restaurants. The kickoff event is May 22nd. Tickets at LAist.com events. Studios. From LAS Studios, this is How to LA, the show that helps you understand the changes that happen in this beautiful, complicated city. But today, we're going to zoom out a little bit to the state level. October may be pumpkin spice season, but it's also the season when new laws are adopted by the state. Over a thousand bills were sitting on Governor Newsom's desk, and he had until last Friday to sign them. Now, the results are in. 890 new laws and 156 potential ones that got vetoed. A lot of these laws were pretty clerical. Some minor tweaks to existing laws, some things that only affect Sacramento, but some of these laws are going to have a huge impact here in LA. Increased pay for healthcare and fast food workers. Cheering fast food workers and labor leaders gathered around Governor Gavin Newsom. A path to more housing development. With dwindling congregations but plenty of land, many churches in L.A. want to build. Increase abortion access. Protesters advocating for abortion rights and the separation of church have taken to the streets of downtown Sacramento here. And some things that could have been big but didn't get the governor's stamp, like decriminalizing psychedelics. So today, we're going to talk about all of that with Alexi Kosov, a reporter with CalMatters, to help us make sense of some of these new laws that every Angelino should understand. Hey, Alexi. Hey there. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining us today. So first things first, when Newsom signs these bills, or doesn't sign them, what influences his decision? Is it because of budget issues? Is he listening to his advisors? Or is this more like a vibe thing? (laughs) I think it's all of the above. Definitely the budget factor is coming more into play than it has in years past. We are still in a somewhat uncertain economy and it's looking like we're headed into sort of a structural budget deficit in the years ahead. So he's been very reluctant to sign legislation this year that would add a lot of costs to the budget. There's also definitely a lot of discussion that happens with advisors And yeah, taking a vibe check about how does society at large feel about an issue and are they really ready for him to push forward and sign a new law on, in some cases, some pretty controversial or groundbreaking areas. So let's just dive into it and let's talk about some of the bills that pass and will become law. Some as early as 2024, but to clarify, some will take a little longer for them to actually become law in California. The first big area I want to talk about is housing. There's SB 423 and SB 4, which both passed. Tell me a bit more about SB 423, which was heavily watched. What will this new law do? Yeah, so this is a bill that builds on some previous work California has done to try and make it easier for housing development. And this law will expand those and give them additional 
years of applicability and will essentially say that if you're living in a community where you're not building enough housing, then you cannot reject proposals for housing projects that meet your objective criteria for what can be allowed to be built in your community. A lot of times these projects fall by the wayside because of objections over things like community character that are very subjective Mm -hmm. and not over really objective criteria about whether the zoning is right, whether it meets the height requirements, things like that. Gotcha. And what about SB4? This is a funny one. It's called Yes in God's Backyard. Mm -hmm. And it has been a couple of years now that they've been trying to make something like this happen. It would make it easier for religious institutions in particular to build housing on their properties if they have, say, unused parking lots, you know, big spaces that they don't need anymore, and they want to develop some low-income kind of nonprofit housing to help alleviate the shortage. I want to dig into this a little bit more because I know there are churches here in LA that are interested in pursuing this. Do you know how easy will this be to implement and what might the effect be maybe five years from now after the law has been around for a few years? Well, I wouldn't say that any housing law is ever easy (laughs) to implement because there always seem to be, you know, just the challenges of what a community is willing to accept. But you're right that there are a lot more churches in the last few years that have been interested in trying to do this. Um, Up in the Bay Area as well, I've heard of some. And I think the possibility is that a couple years down the line, this could help pave the way for a modest number of new units, maybe dozens, maybe hundreds, depending on how many churches take advantage of it. It's not going to solve the entire California housing crisis, but it is one of those things that could just make a dent. And particularly, you know, it could provide housing that's very aligned with the mission of these organizations of serving poor people, serving homeless people, serving people in need. And that's the kind of housing that's really hard to get built and, you know, there's not enough of. The next law I want to talk to you about is the one that expands the definition of the term, quote, gravely disabled, which is the condition Mm -hmm. someone has to be in before receiving involuntary treatment. What was the previous criteria for being gravely disabled and what will change now? Yeah, I mean, this has definitely been a controversial area now for a number of years because, People have been worried that a lot of the homelessness problem is driven by people who are essentially incapable of taking care of themselves for either having mental health issues, drug problems, but California has very strong civil protections for their rights. And, you know, we've now reached a point where essentially Governor Newsom and lawmakers are kind of so fed up with what's going on that they've expanded this definition of gravely disabled, as you said, to include more people who essentially are unable to provide for their own personal medical care or safety. If you can kind of show that they're unable to take care of themselves, then you can petition the court to put them into a conservatorship. And this would provide more criteria for doing that, saying, you know, it can be a mental health problem, it can be a severe substance use disorder, it can be chronic alcoholism, it can be these kinds of problems that, you know, 
advocates are very concerned are leading to more people ending up on the street. It sounds like kind of the three things we talked about have to do with um, crisis that we see here in Los Angeles, which is the homelessness crisis, the housing crisis in California, which are very tied together. Absolutely. I mean, homelessness is absolutely a housing problem, but for many people who fall through the cracks, there are these reasons why they're not able to hold on to a job or hold on to a home or whatever it is that makes them, you know, fall into that situation and they're not getting the help they need as it is. So this is probably going to impact, you know, a fairly limited amount of the overall homelessness picture. I mean, we're talking about in California now, you know, 170,000 or something people per night who are technically unhoused. Uh, You know, this is probably a couple hundred or thousand of the most severely kind of disabled or ill people on the street who California is saying we need to do more and intervene. All right, we've got more laws to get into, but we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in just a second. Hey, what's up, y'all? I'm Pindarvis Harshaw, host of the Right Nowish podcast. Every week, I talk to the people who are creating art and culture and spreading it to the universe. As an artist, you always meet yourself. Every year, you're a different person. Essentially, we normalize a space where you can show up as your authentic self. Check out Right Nowish, rooted in California's Bay Area, speaking to you. It's so many people of color, so many queer people. It's like I'm being celebrated in my fullness. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Alias has a new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We Are Where We Eat will go behind the scenes of some of your favorite L.A. restaurants to find out how and why they do what they do. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for the first event where we'll explore how restaurants help make a neighborhood and we'll all have something delicious to eat afterwards. It's May 22nd at the Crawford. Get your tickets now at LAS.com slash events. And we're back. So the first thing I want to start with after the break is food. As a food enthusiast myself, (laughs) there are some chemicals that were deemed toxic and they're being banned. This isn't obscure stuff. The food dye is in things like peeps or Skittles, right? Can you tell me more? This has been sort of deemed the Skittles ban bill, but it wouldn't (laughs) actually do that. Um, The idea is to ban four additives that are used pretty commonly in candy and other kinds of sweets, things that, you know, are actually banned in Europe, um, but are deemed safe here in the United States by the FDA. And so Jesse Gabriel, the lawmaker who was pursuing this bill, was sort of saying, let's take the lead as California and put pressure on companies to remove these ingredients And, you know, we've seen that they can do it. They do it in Europe. There's still Skittles in Europe that just don't have this particular chemical. And so this is going to roll out over the next couple years. And we're going to see basically how California and its massive consumer power through this market share that it has is going to change perhaps the production of candy. That's so interesting. So do you know if 
this next time I go buy Skittles in a couple of years, they're going to look different, taste different. Uh, I've never been to Europe, so I wouldn't know. And I've never bought Skittles there, right? So... So one day on the floor, the assemblyman, Jesse Gabriel, who is carrying this bill, he actually brought a bag of the Skittles that don't have, you know, these ingredients and he was passing them out. I did want to try one out of curiosity. It seemed like a Skittle to me, Mm. but we'll see. I mean, this is one of those ones that could also get challenged in court and never come into effect because this is a sort of an unprecedented thing to say, well, the FDA said these things are okay, but we as California think they're not, you know, there, there may be some legal questions that need to get worked out about whether California really has the authority to do this. That's going to be really interesting. The next thing I want to talk about are the vetoes that happened. Let's Mm. start with SB 58, which is the decriminalization of some psychedelics. First, what would that have looked like? You know, and then why did the governor veto it? Yeah, so this is a bill that sort of recognizes that there's an increasing number of people who are using psychedelics like magic mushrooms, for example, to treat you know, themselves for trauma, for PTSD. A lot of veterans groups are actually adopting these as a, as a therapeutic tool. And we've actually seen some other states, Oregon and Colorado, where voters have decriminalized the use of psychedelics. So Scott Weiner, a lawmaker, came in this year. He's tried this a couple times now, and this is the farthest it ever got, all the way to the governor's desk to to basically say that possession and use of these kinds of drugs would not be illegal. You know, it wouldn't quite go as far as sort of marijuana legalization where there's commercial sales and things like that, but it would open up that door for that therapeutic use that we're seeing more and more. And yeah, the governor vetoed it. He expressed concerns that the way the law was written, just it didn't have enough safeguards in place. He expressed concern as a parent that there weren't enough regulations that would prevent it from getting into the hands of kids and being abused. So he expressed support for the overall idea and said, bring me back a new proposal next year that's a little bit more highly regulated, a little bit more detailed about how we would do this kind of decriminalization. Okay, so there might be a path forward in the next few years, you know, the governor. They didn't really rule it out, but for now, it's it's not a done deal. That's right. I think we are headed on a path toward this in the next few years, at the very least for some of these veterans groups and therapeutic settings where these psychedelics are becoming more popular. Let's talk about Senate Bill 403, which would have banned caste-based discrimination. Walk me through this one because I think a lot of people were surprised to see it vetoed. I was surprised to see it vetoed, too. It was definitely a very contentious issue in the legislature, but it would have put California at the vanguard of a new kind of civil right in this country. Um, There are a few cities now that have adopted bans against caste discrimination, but no state has ever done it. And the advocates came forward and said, you know, particularly in Silicon Valley, where there's a lot of... Indian and other South Asian workers, uh, they're encountering situations where some of that caste discrimination has come over from the culture overseas and permeated 
housing situations, work situations, and, and they're not able to advance in their careers or, or even get rentals because of their caste, they say. So this law was trying to deal with that, make very explicit that that would not be acceptable and the state would have the ability to pursue cases based on caste discrimination. And the governor said, we're supportive of the idea of nobody being discriminated against, but we don't believe this law is necessary. We think that the existing civil right protections in California are sufficient. And he vetoed it. And the opponents, um, who are also a lot of South Asia groups, viewed this as a big victory because they argue that by explicitly putting caste discrimination in California law, it would actually be discriminatory in and of itself by singling out Hindus and others who have caste as part of their culture and religion. And there was a lot of angst about this bill at the Capitol. A lot of people who were coming, protesting against it, coming to argue in favor of it. There was a hunger strike outside the Capitol for more than a month from supporters hoping the governor would sign it. This was a really personal deeply felt issue for a lot of people and I think the governor ultimately probably felt the easiest way out was to veto and not try and go down the path of sifting through the implications of having that in state law. Gotcha. All right, Alexi, last round. Of all the bills you've covered this lawmaking season, which pass and which veto felt the most consequential to you? Wow, I mean, that's an interesting question because we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of bills. I think he ultimately ended up signing almost 900 new laws. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of really interesting and consequential things across a lot of different areas. One I'll single out that just immediately jumps to mind is a bill that will require companies that do business in California to report their greenhouse gas emissions Mm. within the next couple of years if they're above a certain size. So if if they make about a billion dollars or more. So a lot of the largest companies in the whole world, if they want to do business in California, will basically have to account for their impact on climate change. And that is something that is again, first in the nation, and it could inspire other states to follow suit. So that's definitely one to watch because the business community does not like it, and they're probably going to fight it all the way through on implementation. In terms of a veto, another one I would just highlight, it's called AB 957. It was a bill that would have required judges to consider whether a parent affirms their child's gender identity in custody disputes. And it became this hot button issue because a lot of conservative groups picked up on it and basically argued the state was trying to take children away from their parents if they weren't supportive of them being transgender, which is not what the bill did, but that's sort of the message that got out there. The governor ultimately vetoed it. He raised concerns about some of the potential unintended consequence. And a lot of LGBTQ advocates were very upset by this veto, very surprised by this veto. And it has, I won't say damaged his relationship with that community, but has shaken his relationship with that community because he has been such a champion of LGBTQ rights throughout his career. And so it's going to be interesting to see how that proceeds. I think there's a little bit of hurt and confusion about why the governor vetoed that bill and 
we're going to see in the months and years ahead how he navigates, you know, what has become this sort of national, you know, panic about transgender youth with also his outspoken support of LGBTQ rights. Alexi, thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate your guide through the new California laws. Thanks so much. That was Cal Matters reporter Alexi Kosev. He covers Governor Gavin Newsom and California government. We'll link to his coverage of new California laws in our show notes. And you can find out more at calmatters.org. We'll be back tomorrow, so don't miss a beat. Subscribe if you haven't already. And please show a little love and share the podcast however you can. Monica Bushman and Evan Jacoby produced this episode. Megan Larson is our executive producer. And Hasmik Pagosian is our engineer. Our other team members are Victoria Alejandro, Megan Botel, and Erica Washington. See you here tomorrow for another episode of How to LA. Bye. Support for this podcast is made possible by Gordon and Donna Crawford, who believe that quality journalism makes Los Angeles a better place to live. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps.